Good evening and greetings in Jesus' name. It's a blessing to be here this week. And, and uh, you know, as Chris was, as Chris was uh, speaking, um, I, I was thinking a little bit about, about his, his topic and some of the things that he was saying. And I find that in my own life, I think what he's talking about is really critical because in my own life I find that I'm really influenced, and I believe our culture as a whole is really influenced by, by Protestantism, by Luther, by his writings, by some of the things that he said. Maybe even more so than what we realize. I'll just give an example that uh, we were at CBS this past year. I was there as a teacher. And in the, in the teacher study is where all the interesting things happen. For those of you that have ever been there, that's where all the fun things, interesting things happen. And I began to realize I was talking to some of the other teachers there that my view of salvation was just a little bit skewed. A little bit towards that thing of saying, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. I just, I just need to be saved. And I, I knew that wasn't quite true, but I, I, you know, I was talking about things like, well, is that a salvation issue? I, I was thinking of questions like that in my mind, and I realized that, that uh, there were some things there that, that I wasn't thinking properly about salvation. So thanks, Chris, for, for what you've shared. I'm looking forward to the, to the week there. Just by way of inter- introduction here, uh, I would venture to guess probably most of you know at least uh, some of who I am or some of my family or or uh, some of my background, perhaps. Larry Byler is my name. My wife is Carla. My parents are Kenneth and Anna Mary Byler, and my grandpa, probably most of you would know, Aunt Alta, and I've had a number of other aunts and uncles and cousins that have come here through the years. Um, I don't know many of you. I know a lot of your faces. I don't know. I, I would know faces. I would probably kind of know who you are, where you belong. Don't know a lot of names, uh, which is kind of odd because because of, of how close we all live here. Uh, my wife, Carla, is from South Carolina. Uh, her parents are uh, Myron and Judy Mullet. Her father was from Holmes County, and her mother was from the uh, Virginia Beach area originally. Um, we have three children not with us tonight. Hopefully, they'll be coming uh, some of the rest of the week. Uh, we'll see how that, how that all works out. Um, we're looking forward to the week. Uh, I've never really spoken in this capacity in another church before, so I'm not quite sure what that all means or what that looks like or feels like, but I guess we'll try it and see how it goes. As I was thinking about the week here, I'm guessing that there's probably three kinds of people here tonight. At least if you're like me, uh, with, when it comes to summer Bible school and these kinds of things, there's probably a group of people here that's trying to figure out how you're going to survive the week by doing one more thing. How are we going to go away every evening and fit, it, fit in everything else that we're doing this week? And I understand that. We just came through our summer Bible school a couple weeks ago. I understand what that feels like. Then there's probably some of you that wonder why the topics were picked that were picked, or what, what's the speaker thinking? Why, why did he pick that topic, or what's, what's that all about? And then there's probably, hopefully, there's a few of you that looked at the two topics for this week and are really excited about it, really ready to go, and really interested in, in uh, what we're going to be talking about. If you're not interested in the topics, it's going to be a long week. So grit your teeth and, and uh, get ready for the ride, I guess. No, and, and hopefully we can learn a lot uh, together. So let's discuss a little bit. Uh, my topic is the case for God in the world of science. Let's discuss a little bit why you should care about that. Why isn't my topic the case for God in the scripture or the case for God in personal experience or some other way? There are so many ways that we can get to know God and learn to know him but I chose uh, for this week, and actually this was partially a topic that was kind of given to me, and I kind of uh, figured out where I wanted to go with it on my own as well. 
But I believe it's important for us to think about the case for God in the world of science. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that uh, one, one of our greatest challenges, I believe, as a conservative people is that we, come, we become so engrossed in our culture, uh, our families, our churches, our work, everything that we do is within our own culture that we don't even quite realize what's out there. We don't even understand the perspectives of the people that are, that are outside of our, of our tight-knit circles. And I think there's many things that you all are doing, many things that we can do to, to combat that in a way. C.S. Lewis said it this way, in any fairly large and talkative community such as a university, and I will say such as a church, uh, there's always the danger that those who think alike should gravitate together where they will henceforth encounter opposition only in the emasculated form of rumor that the outsiders say thus and thus. The absent or the people out there that have different perspectives, they're easily refuted uh, because they're not here. Complacent dogmatism thrives and differences of opinion are embittered by group hostility. Each group hears not the best, but the worst that the other group has to say. So that's, I think, one of the dangers that we face as a people in our tight-knit communities is that we don't hear the other perspectives and we don't understand where they're coming from. And sometimes it, we find it hard to even interact with them as a result of that. Uh, and so one of, the, one of the things I want to do this week is to help us wrap our minds maybe a little bit around some of the ideas out there uh, from the world of science. You know, the world of science has been hijacked. The world of science was originally a study of what God has created, and it's been hijacked today uh, in our culture, in the, in, the, in the world in general. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. Uh, just uh, briefly, some of the things I'll be talking about this week. <clears throat> Tonight I'm going to start out with uh, the root of modern naturalism. We're going to talk a little bit, do a quicker review of worldviews, some of the different worldviews, and we will discuss a bit where naturalism comes from and how it feeds atheism and the ideas of evolution. Now, don't, don't, don't get lost. I, it might, might sound like a lot of big words and a lot of whatever. Don't, don't get lost with that. We'll, we'll uh, break it down step by step and talk a little bit about that. I'm curious, though, does anyone know what a naturalist is, the definition of naturalism? What does a naturalist believe? Tree huggers? Um, potentially. Maybe not exactly, but yeah, that would have that potential. Okay, all right, well, we'll find out tonight. Uh, Monday night, then, we'll talk a little bit more about evolution, which I believe evolution is a naturalist foundation. When science said, oh, now we understand where we've come from as mankind, they said, oh, now we don't need God anymore. We understand where we've come from, we don't need God. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about evolution, which is a naturalist foundation, and we're going to explore a little bit, does a theory have merit? And hopefully you can guess where I'm going to come out on that. Tuesday night, then, we'll talk about creationism and the belief in God. And we're going to go back to the source of science, when science really took off, and, and what those men thought and what they talked about and, and uh, how they studied science. Wednesday night, I'd like to talk some about observation and history, the value of both those disciplines of science, different, but I believe equal in understanding God and who he is. And then Thursday night, I will wrap up with why God and why Christianity and look at some of the, the evidence of that. Some of my sources for the week uh, include Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis, uh, Robbie Zacharias, John Lennox, Lee Strobel, specific books and writings that, that I'm going to be uh, bringing some quotes from, The Universe Next Door by James Sire, uh, Finding the Real Jesus by Lee Strobel, and an article called Science and Faith, Friendly Allies, Not Hostile Enemies by John Lennox. 
excellent read. If you, uh, if you get some time, uh, look it up online. Science and Faith, Friendly Allies, Not Hostile Enemies by John Lennox. Now, one of the things that I want to note here is that these men are primarily from the Protestant side. Okay? So, back to what Chris mentioned, we need to take what they say, but we need to process it through, through the scripture. We're not just taking what they say and ingesting it whole, whole hog, so to speak, but we need to process it through the scripture and through the, our understanding of the kingdom and salvation. Now, what I've appreciated about men like Zacharias and Lennox, and I want to talk about this before we begin because I believe it's really important, is that they really care about the people that disagree with them. You can watch these men debate atheists and talk to atheists and talk about atheists, and they really care about the people that they're debating, the people that, that they're interacting with. One of the, one of the potential downfalls of, the, of a week like this is that we make fun of people that have a different view. And that, that doesn't go anywhere in helping us to show those people the truth. It doesn't go anywhere in helping us learn something new. Okay, so one, that's, that's one thing I want to make sure that we're clear on is the purpose of the week is not to, to toss out those ideas and say those people are crazy, those people are stupid. Now the Bible does say the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Okay, so we, we need to balance this. But at the same time, uh, we need to care about the people that we're interacting with. We must also note that we don't agree with everything that these men believe. For example, Lennox actually believes in evolution. Uh, he talks about the case for God. He believes in God, uh, but he also believes in a type of evolution. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So this idea of evolution is not only, it's not only in society, but it's also in Christianity. It's a very strong belief in a number of Christian circles, and we'll hopefully get to that a little bit more this evening. <clears throat> Um, Robbie Zacharias does not ascribe to the idea of non-resistance. And I find it interesting, and I'll just, this is a little bit, a little bit of an aside, but I believe it probably uh, hits more on Chris's topic. But the reason he doesn't believe it is just simply because it doesn't follow common sense. It's not common sense. So he has all these beliefs in God. And I, I don't want to, again, I don't want to knock him down, but, I, but this, is, this is the mindset of a lot of Christians today. There's all these beliefs in God because of the Bible, because of the Bible, because of the Bible. But as soon as it's something that I don't agree with, I don't agree with it because it's just not common sense. And Christ has a lot of teachings that just simply are not common sense as we think of, of, uh, of common sense, of logic. So we must know that common sense, logic, and knowledge are not all there is in gaining truth. And yet unbelievers can find God through those three things, through common sense, logic, and knowledge if they're willing to open their heart to him. So finally, our reasons for studying this topic, it's foundational to our worldview and who we are. We should be prepared to, to defend our worldview even outside. Uh, one of the ways that we've historically defended our worldview is by saying, well, the Bible says so. But if you look at that, that's a type of circular reasoning. To use the Bible to defend the Bible is a type of circular reasoning. So we need to learn uh, to, to look, at, look at history uh, and look at some of these other things uh, to defend our belief in God. Science should draw the unbeliever and the skeptic to God, and then the belief of God should draw them to the Bible, to Scripture. Uh, many of us spend most of our time with people who think like us, and there's a real chance that we would get blindsided by these kinds of uh, beliefs that we don't understand. Uh, looks like I'm going to need to fire this thing up again.
So the root of natural, of modern naturalism, we'll look a little bit at an overview of worldviews here. Uh, the worldview that we all ascribe to at a very basic level is called Christian theism. And this worldview believes uh, in an all-powerful, transcendent, holy, and all-knowing God. And at the same time, a God that's deeply personal and engaged in our lives. So there's kind of this, this split. We believe in a God that's not only transcendent, all-knowing, all-powerful, but he's also deeply personal and engaged in our lives. Um, and, that, and that's really the difference between what we believe about God and what, between, and what a lot of other religions believe about God. That's one of the, the major, major differences. And then, as a result of that, we believe that, therefore, uh, the world is the result of his creative power. Deism uh, believes that God was the first cause, that he created the earth but then left it to run on its own. So maybe he, created, he made the Big Bang or he made life or he just he kind, of, he kind of set it off, so to speak, kind of got the ball rolling and then just let it go. That's the idea of deism. Therefore, he is not personal, involved, or interested God. God is reduced then to creator only and loses his personality. And I would submit that probably uh, one of the greatest, um, one, of the great, one of the biggest steps from what we believe to, to naturalism is this step from theism to deism. A lot of our uh, forefathers, our founding fathers here at, in the United States were deists, not necessarily Christian theists. A lot of them were deists. They believed that God just kind of got the ball rolling and then, and then was hands off from there and left it to go on its own. And that's, that's a major, major uh, worldview today in our culture. Now, this worldview leads to naturalism. We might not think that there's a big difference between Christian theism on a surface level. You know, some of you are talking to might not, might not say, well, there's not a huge difference between Christian theism and deism. But there is. Deism is the first step to hitting naturalism, which we'll talk about next year. Naturalism, then, believes that matter exists eternally, and that is all there is. Matter exists, and that's all there is. The natural world, what we can see, is all there is. The spiritual doesn't exist and doesn't matter, and therefore, God does not exist. Death is the end of a person, and morals are a common code created by man. Now, I want you to hold that thought. Morals are a common code created by man. We'll hit on this more tomorrow night, uh, Lord willing. The idea that one of the challenges that the atheist and the evolutionist face is where, where did morals, morals come from? Where did our knowledge of right and wrong come from? We talk all day long about what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. But where did they come from? Where did we get that? If God didn't create us, where did they get that? Where did that come from? Now, they believe that morals are a common code created by man, and, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of those ideas and where they come from. So Christian theism, which is what we believe, deism, which is just kind of like a hands-off God, and now that leads to naturalism where, you know what, we really don't need God. If you're a deist and you come face-to-face -face with evolution, you're going to say, now I know where I came from. I don't need God to explain, explain where I've come from. And now I can move on to naturalism and just take God completely out of my life. Now this leads to something called nihilism, which is really, in my mind, an extreme worldview, but one that we face a lot, really, in our culture today. This worldview believes that there is no purpose. Knowledge, worldview, meaning, and reality are non-existent. The idea behind nihilism is nothing. There's just nothing. Revelations like the Bible and human reasoning are equally meaningless. We can debate all day long. You can debate between God and evolution and all these things. It doesn't matter. Everything is meaningless. 
And that's the, uh, the idea behind the worldview of nihilism. And as we think about that, we begin to understand why some people do the things that they do. Because if there's no purpose, if there's no reason for existence, if there's no knowledge, if there's no understanding, no logic, no morals, then now it really doesn't matter how I live my life. I can do whatever I want. This then leads to existentialism, atheism, and postmodernism. And I put all three of these on the same line because they have a lot of similarities. Um, existentialism is the idea that individuals are free and responsible to determine their own course in life through their own will. So they can kind of do whatever they want. Man knows that they have value, and I find this to be so interesting. God has put in us the intrinsic idea that I have value. I matter. I'm worth something. I, there, you know, I've, I've been created in the image of God. Okay, people won't admit that. A lot of people won't admit that, but there's still that intrinsic idea that I have value. And so as a result of that, they revolt against the idea of nihilism, which says there is no value. Nothing matters. It's all, it's all nothingness. And they ascribe value. Somehow they try to make their lives valuable without God. And the question I have, that I have for them is, how can you make your life of any value if you don't believe in a God? If you don't believe in a beyond, if you don't believe in something beyond this life, how do you give your life any value? And then, of course, of course atheism then is a belief there is no God. Postmodernism, probably most of you have heard that term. That's just the idea at a very basic level that there's no big story or there's no direction that things are going. Everything's relative. There's nothing, there's not really a, a major theme in life. It just kind of is. Since death is the end of everything, it is difficult to find value in life. That's the problem. If death is the end of everything, it becomes very challenging uh, to find value in life. Now, I wonder, I wonder where we've heard that a phrase similar to that before. Uh, Paul talks about if Christ is not risen, then our faith is in vain. You know, we, we're yet in our sins. We might as well not even try. It's not worth it. Life is not worth it if Christ is not risen. There's no overarching truth. There's no overarching big story. There's no direction that things are going. Truth is what man decides it is, and it is relative. And this is one of the most dangerous things with postmodernism and with the belief that there is no God, is that man decides, okay, what was right and wrong yesterday might be right and wrong today, depending on who's in charge. That's the biggest problem with this idea that there is no God. The spiritual, they believe, does not exist. Evolution is a product of these worldviews. So this is where the idea of evolution comes from. In a sense, evolution was, evolution was uh, the forerunner of something like naturalism. But at the same time, when you have a whole culture that believes this kind of worldview, then evolution just, just makes sense. Because if there is no God, we had to come from somewhere. We need to be able to explain where we came from. Worldview and science. So how do, what's the connection between worldview and science? One, one's worldview governs their belief in God. One's belief in God governs their perspective on the following questions. Where did I come from? What happens to me when I die? Where did the world come from and how long will it last? Where did morality come from? Where did value come from? And where did meaning come from? Now you might say um, that one's belief in God governs their worldview and that would be true. But obviously there's a subset of people that claim that they don't believe in God. And so I would, I would say that one's worldview governs what they believe 
about God. Now, naturalism is challenged by these questions again. If we believe that there is no God, if we believe it's just the physical and that's all there is, there is no spiritual, there is no God, how do we know where we came from? Or how do we know what happens to me when I die? What about meaning? What about value? What about morality? These things are challenged by that perspective, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as the week goes along. Now, there is a group of people, like I mentioned before, that attempts to mix naturalism and the Bible. Now, question for you. Does, can, can you do that? Can you mix, by the definition of naturalism that we just went over, can you mix a belief in naturalism with a belief in what the Bible says? Is it possible to do that? Is it possible to mix a belief in naturalism and a belief in the Bible? Is it possible that one's presupposition can mix anything? Okay. And what do you mean by that? Well, that as you suppose. Presupposition is what you always thought or what you come to accept. Okay. So that the whole mixed up of truth and error becomes such a strange mixture mm-hmm. that people can almost concoct anything they want. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and it becomes then their presupposition. Okay. And I believe, I believe that there's an aspect of truth to that, that there's, there's so many things going on that we can just kind of make up what we want, and then when we believe that to be true, that becomes our foundation uh, for, for learning or, and for seeing new things and for viewing the world. That becomes our worldview, really. So maybe that part of life is naturalism, and part of it mm-hmm. is biblicism. Yep, yep, and I think that's what happens, because anyone in their right mind knows that if you take it down to the basic foundational level, and you believe in naturalism, which is the belief that there is no God, and you believe in the Bible, which obviously is a strong belief that there is a God, you cannot mix the two. But as you live your life, and you, you maybe subconsciously believe these two different things, you don't really think about the very foundation. But at a foundational level, it's impossible to mix these two things, and yet we'll talk about how people try to do that. So what would cause a Christian to believe in evolution? What would cause a Christian to believe in evolution? Someone that believes in the Bible. Someone that ascribes and claims that they believe in God and claims that they believe in Jesus Christ. There's a couple of things that I want to go over here. Belief in science, belief that science is greater than the belief in Scripture itself. When we begin to hold science up and hold our own observations up and our own experiences up to a level that's higher than Scripture... That's really the only way that you can get to the point where you say, I believe in evolution as a Christian. And when you do that, that's kind of self-refuting like we were just talking about. Compromising worldview, world moving from Christian theism to deism. Now we could ask the question, well, can a deist be a Christian? And the answer to that is probably not because de- deists believe that God kind of started the process and then walked away. And as Christian theists, we know that, that cannot be the case. Attempting to explain the supernatural with the physical. Uh, Attempting to explain things away. Well, you know, creation just kind of happened from the Big Bang and we evolved from there. That's an attempt to explain the supernatural with the physical. Example of mixing evolution in the Bible. Does the Bible really mean that God created in six little days? I I have the next couple of slides and I'm going to try to convince you here for a few minutes that that we came from a process of evolution over millions of years. 
And after these few slides, I want, I want your feedback. I want you to help me think through this, okay? Get it? So I don't believe what I'm going over these next couple slides, but I, I, want, I want you to stick with me, okay? And I'm going to try to convince you for a few minutes that we actually did evolve and that the Bible does not mean six literal days. God created the sun, moon, and stars on day four. So how could we know that there were six literal days before the sun, moon, and stars were created on day four? Genesis 1.14 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day and the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Therefore, uh, how can we know the length of those days if the object that governs the length of the day was not yet created? The first four days of creation were God divided, not sun divided, so we could not possibly know how long they were. Examples in the Bible, there's two in the Old Testament, one in the, in the New Testament, where the word day did not mean a literal 24-hour day. And I'm not going to read these. Um, I think you'll probably recognize the one here in um, 2 Peter, where it talks about... Uh, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Why couldn't one day have been a thousand years or more? Why did it have to be one literal day? When we look at the stars, we're looking into the past. And I'm going to call this slide, Proofs from Science that the World is Older Than 6,000 Years. The farther we look out at the stars, the cooler in temperature they are. One would expect, I'm, I'm going to skip over this just for uh, sake of time. But I'm going to come down to this one here. The ice in Antarctica is found to have over 700,000 rings, one for each summer-winter cycle. Therefore, the Earth must have been formed over 700,000 years or more. The Earth must be over 700,000 years old. And there are even trees that are older than 6,000 years that have more rings than, uh, than 6,000. And so therefore, the Earth must be older than 6,000 years. Now, I want your feedback. What do you think? How old was Adam when he was created? This is a discussion among you all. He was created an adult man. Okay, he was created an adult, an adult man, yep. How, how uh, old was the coal when it was formed? Okay, how rocks. Old, how old were the rocks when they were formed? All the minerals were put in place. Why does God need to take a million years to do something he did one day? Okay, all right. What else? We have all these proofs that the Earth is older than 6,000 years and that evolution is a fact. What do we say? The flood changed a lot. Okay, the flood changed a lot of things. We'll hit on that in later evenings. We have the Bible by revelation rather than through the understanding. Okay. Here's, here's where I'm coming from with this, just to give you a little bit of perspective. I watched a three-hour debate between Ken Ham and another astronomer, and I and, uh, uh, forget the names. Uh, there was an astronomer and a Hebrew, um, Hebrew scholar on the other side who were arguing that God created the earth over a much longer period of time, over millions of years. They were arguing the idea of evolution, and they were claiming that you can get that out of Genesis 1. That's, that's the perspective that I, that I want to help us to understand, that there are people that, that say they believe in the Bible 100% and that know Hebrew and that are scholars and that have studied for years that will claim 
that the Bible was not created, in, or the, the earth was not, the universe was not created in six literal days. And they have lots of highfalutin and good sounding reasons for this. It's out there. And you can debate about it for, for three hours and not come to a, quote, logical conclusion. So what do we say to this? What reason do you want to explain away chapter 9? Okay, what, that's, that's a good question. Why do you want to explain, explain away Genesis chapter 1? That's a great question. <clears throat> but see, they would claim they're not explaining it away. They would just say, well, it doesn't say. The idea of evolution is new. It's not what our forefathers believed. Okay. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Yep, and that, that's an excellent point. Evolution is a relatively new thing. But then we can say, well, but that's, we're becoming better scientists. We're just learning more and more things as we go along. The, these are the kinds of things that, that we're dealing with, and we're going to deal with more and more. And there, there, might, there might even come a time when your young people come to you and say, hey, I've been, I've been listening to this stuff on YouTube, or I've been looking up this stuff online, and this is what they're saying. They're Christians, and they believe this. What's wrong with this? Any other thoughts? Well, revelation always comes from the greater to the lesser. And God is so much greater than we. And if his revelation isn't satisfactory, then man needs to find his own way through some kind of education, self-made if need be. Okay. All right. If God's revelation isn't satisfactory, then we need to fabricate something that we can believe in. Here's, here's the big question that I would like to ask, is how can you import the idea of millions of years into Genesis 1 and 2? It's not there. It's not even close to there. There's no, there's no indication of anything like that. Not even close. Every indication would say that it was six literal days. Every indication. There's no indication of man being formed by evolution. And if you... If you believe that man was formed by evolution, you have a couple other challenges. Because when did, when did God make man in his image? When did man become a living soul? Was it between, you know, ape generation 5,000 and 5,001? Or 5,001 and 5,002? Was there an ape that had a, a human? You know, how, did, how, did, how, does that, how does that work out? How does that jive? How does the idea of evolution jive with everything else that we know in Scripture? How can there be death and bloodshed before sin? That's a whole other, uh, that's a whole other uh, thing that we'll have to get into at a later time. So I want, at, just to conclude here, I want us to understand, first of all, that these things are not foreign. They're not alien to who we are. Rather, uh, with, the, with the, uh, the explosion of the Internet and information, you and I and our young people and children and whoever else can find all this kind of information. You can really find, quote, proof for anything you want to find proof for online. And so I want us, I want us to be thinking about these things and be aware of these things. I had a teacher that once said that faith is a moral issue. So as we think about that in the area of morality, that if faith is set aside, then morals are set aside. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the idea of morality, if faith is set aside, then morals are set aside. And we'll hit a little bit on that uh, again tomorrow night.